Thank you, Mark. It's good to be with you this morning. I didn't realize this fellowship is so connected to food. It seems every meeting you have, there's uh, in some way connected to food. come on their own Sunday, I think, but there we are. Uh, my wife isn't able to be with me. She's other duties, uh, and she should be watching online. Thank you to Aaron for the children's talk, communication. I, I love getting a letter. Uh, I remember... Whenever I was married, my mum and dad lived in Bally Robert, outside Bally Clare, and my mother didn't sleep well at night. And even though I saw her probably every day, during the night she would write me letters, and she would post them. So even though I saw her regularly, every now and again I would have got a letter from my mother to encourage me and to remind me of things that were uh, the priorities of life. Thank you, Aaron, for reminding us of those things. I want you to turn this morning to what is probably the best known passage in all of the Bible. I do so reluctantly because I don't want you to switch off, but I want you to turn to Psalm number 23. Psalm number 23. You know it off by heart. In fact, many preachers avoid it because of over-familiarity. We come across David at a time of reflection. I imagine David lying on a grassy bank, uh, watching over his sheep on the slopes of the Judean hillside. In the distance he sees Bethlehem, and he imagined maybe he could hear his father Jesse calling his seven brothers. The weather's hot and balmy. And he lifts his lyre and starts to play as he thinks of life's experiences and the key parts of his life. And very quickly the poem, the song starts to form in his mind. We don't know all that David thought about that day, but under inspiration he gives us six areas worth reflecting on. Let's read it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the precious word of God, for its comfort, for its instruction. And Father, as we look into this very familiar passage, we pray that the Holy Spirit might enlighten our minds to its impact and to its truth. Father, we pray that we might understand it But also we pray that we might believe it. And Father, we pray that we might order our lives in the light of it. For we ask it in the Savior's name. Amen. So David is lying on a slopey bank 
on the hills of Judea looking over the sheep and he lifts his instrument, whatever it was, a lyre or a harp, and he starts to formulate this hymn in his mind. He's contemplating life and he gives us, I believe, at least six things that are worth reflecting on. It's interesting that the first thing that he reflects on is the issue of authority. And we find that in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Authority was a big issue for David. He was the youngest boy of eight. And his dad would shout, David, I need some water. Eliab would shout, David, will you go to the bakers? Abinadab would say, no, I need him to help me in the field. And Shammah would say, no, I wanted David to do a message for me. And it seemed as if David was at the beck and call of everybody. He was the youngest boy. So authority was a thorny issue for David. In our language, we would say he was the gopher. He would go for this and go for that. That was David. It seemed as if he was at the back of back and call of all the family. But as David reflects on all the commands and all the orders and all the uh, instructions that he's given, he lies on the banks of the slopes of the Judean hills and said, The Lord is my shepherd. Dear saint of God, in points past. We might not have a father with seven brothers uh, dictating our lives. But in the busyness of life, it often feels that we are being pulled in all kinds of directions. It, It seems as if everybody is making their demands upon the 24 7 that we all have to spend each week. It seems as if everybody's demanding this and. I know what it's like. My wife usually has a list of things needing done. I've eight grandchildren. And so there's always things that need to be done and children to be collected and they need to be here and they have a party there. And, and it seems as if it all crowds in. But David said, David reminds us in a moment of reflection, the Lord is my shepherd. In the busyness of life, when we don't have enough hours in the day, it is good to lie on that grassy bank like David and declare, the Lord is my shepherd. He is my authority. It's his voice that I will obey. It's his word that I will keep. And when we lose sight of him, we get spiritually cold. When we lose sight of that authority in our lives, the excitement and the passion of our faith fades quickly. Church becomes a a dry routine and we can very easily become negative and critical. I know that we never happen in points past, but, but it happens elsewhere. And people lose sight of the authority in their lives and, and it can make them cynical and hard and critical. But when you're captivated, and I use that word thoughtfully, when you're captivated by the one who saved you, captivated by the one who feeds you and keeps you and directs you, then church becomes thrilling and exciting and powerful. 
It's a fresh encounter with the God who saved you. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that every occasion needs. My second car was a Ford Escort 1100. Canary yellow. I was so proud of it. It, it looked like a sports car. I had Mexico written down the side. I had bucket rally seats and a steering wheel that was a rally steering wheel and a black grill along down the back window. It looked apart. And every now and again, somebody would come up beside me at the lights looking for a race. <laughs> and I had no power at all. I could hardly pull the car out of bed in the morning. It only had a basic engine, but it looked apart. Looked the part. If you saw it going up, the sea said, "My, there's a car." But it, it was all, it was all the outward. And it just could be that in points past, there, there's an 1100 Ford Escort, eh? and on the outward you look like a Christian racing car, and you look the part. But there's no power there. No pith. say, oh, to lie on the bank, to renew the spiritual batteries, to have on the inward what we like to think we look like on the outward, and say, the Lord is my shepherd, he is my authority, I shall have all that I need. Someone might say, Pastor, how can you be sure the Lord is your shepherd? You see, I asked the Lord into my life when I was like one of these wee ones that Aaron was speaking to. I was only a wee child, and, and I, in simple faith, I, I asked the Lord into my heart, but, but life has taken its toll. How can I be sure? Well, I can't see your heart, but there's a wee key. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. See if you reverse it. You see, if the Lord is your shepherd, you should be able to say, the shepherd is my Lord. <laughs> Does he have the authority? Is he the one that thrills your soul? Is he the one that excites you? Is he the one that, that motivates you day by day? Oh, dear saint of God and points pass. I know this is familiar territory. I, I'm nearly embarrassed bringing it. But oh, tell me, have you ever thought of the authority? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Then David moves from, from authority to the issue of tranquility. Verse 2. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. David, as he lies on that grassy bank, he sees the importance of authority, but he also realizes the importance of tranquility. Everybody today seems so stressed. And it must be said that some people seem to thrive on the busyness. They, they seem to thrive on the adrenaline rush. And they tell you, you know, I, I, I worked 80 hours last week. And they do it with a, a thrill in their voice. They're all excited about it. 
I, I, I get up early in the morning and I, I go flat out and, and I don't stop at 10 o'clock at night as if that's good. God never built us for that. There is the need for tranquility. Not only physically, but also spiritually. You see, we think of so often that busyness equals spirituality. And I have people, preachers, you know, and, and they love to tell you, well, now, if you want me for a Sunday, it would be, uh, it would be 20, 26, you know. <laughs> Very good. Somehow they feel that if they fill their diary and it's all crammed and they're in demand, it must be a sign of spirituality. I had a sign in my study in Bali for many years and it says, beware of the barrenness of a busy life. And I have known in my life what it's like to have meeting and meeting and meeting and meeting and meeting and you're running and empty. And all that fresh input and that fresh vitality of the things of God was missing. David watched his seven brothers running about. And as a young man, he could see that busyness can ruin our joy. And busyness can rob our hearts of peace. It can cover up a multitude of our sins and we cover our sins by our busyness. David lies on the slopes of Bethlehem and reflects not only who is in the place of authority, the Lord is my shepherd, but also check that you have adequate times of tranquility. He maketh me to lie down. That's interesting language, isn't it? Not that he wants me to lie down or he advises me that I need to lie down. No, he maketh me to lie down. Dear Christian, if you don't spend time alone with God, don't be surprised if he makes you to lie down and he sets you aside and all of a sudden you can't do the things that once you were able to do and all the demands of life, all are shattered because he wants you have a time of tranquility with him. Some think God's priority is to get us up and busy. I thought that for years. Missions. I'm involved in a mission in India, as you know. Try to get people motivated. Try to get people inspired. Try to get people out to meetings and, and involved. That's not God's priority. God's priority is to get his sheep to lie down in green pastures, to worship him, to meditate on him, to feed on the green pastures of his word. And in the words of Mark 6.31, he said to his disciples, come ye apart into a desert place and rest away. My old father used to say, if you don't come apart, you'll come apart. <laughs> Oh, I have learned the hard way that there needs to be times whenever we switch off the television and switch off the phone. Whenever we leave the books aside and with a heart of worship, we get to know our God. We'll, we'll never get to know him if we rush through life. I tell you, it's a thrilling thing. Those that 
No, their God will be strong and do exploits. And if we want to do something for God in this, our generation, we'll need to know the God that we serve. And we'll need to know him. Do you remember Mary at Bethany? Whenever Martha was catering and she had the pavlova just at the right height and the volivants just the right consistency and the sausage rolls just at the right temperature and she was stressed and she said to the Lord, Lord, tell my sister Mary that she might come and help me. The Lord says, no, Martha, Mary has chosen the best part. She sat at his feet to learn about the cross, to learn about her saviour. I wonder how often or when last you had those moments of tranquility to switch off all the distractions, all the noise and to sit on the green pastures beside the still waters. When last did you hear the still, small voice of God? You know, whenever I speak to people and I talk about hearing God's voice, they really look at you as if you've got three heads. (laughs) It's a tragedy, isn't it? He walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me that I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known. When last did you hear his voice? When last did you worship him in spirit and in truth? The issue of authority, that was the priority for David. And then there was the issue of tranquility, verse 2. David meditated on sitting in those green pastures beside the still waters, meditating on his Jehovah God. And then three, it was the issue of priority. I think David smiled whenever he wrote, He restoreth my soul. Probably the most comforting words in Scripture for a believer. He restoreth my soul. Dear friend, I want to say to you, and I've been preaching since I was 18, a long, long time. But I have lost count with the number of times when he restored my soul. Lost count. Sometimes twice and three times in the one day, I say to my shame, he restoreth my soul. He reminds me of what is the priority. There is always the possibility of spiritual recovery. This is a spiritual priority. He restoreth our soul. The truth of it is, dear saint of God, we all struggle. I know as you look around a congregation like this, you think that everybody's got it okay except me. I'm the odd one out. They've all got it together. It's not like that. If you were to get alone with the people around you, you know what you discover? You discover like just like you, they're struggling as well. They have battles that they face and they're stumbling along and the moments of doubt and maybe they've had a bad week and the soul seems to be crumbling around them. But I tell you from the authority of Psalm 23, he restoreth my soul. Restoration is a glorious possibility. 
The Lord delights in restoring. I'm maybe speaking to someone here in the church or tuning in online who needs this priority this morning. Nobody else knows. But the quiet time is well nigh evaporated. Prayer times, you wouldn't know where to start. He restores my soul. Now notice please. It says he restores my soul and leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now that's important. You see, he doesn't restore our soul so that we could sin and sin and sin again. No, 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 no. He restores our soul so that we might walk in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You see, if we sin, his name's dragged through the gutter. If we sin, people point the finger at our Savior. He's a Christian, you know. Whenever I was a young fella driving the, the Ford 1100 Escort, <laughs> my dad saw me going out the door. He used to say, son, son, remember whose you are. What do you mean? Well, he was saying, first of all, you're a Christian. Remember, when you're out there, remember who you are. You belong to Christ. But he also was saying, son, remember you're a candidate. If you misbehave out there as a reflection on the rest of us, remember who you are. That's what David's getting at. He restoreth my soul in order that we might walk in paths that are right for his name's sake, so that his name is not gathered dust and dragged through the gutter. That's why we live pure lives. That's why we read and pray. That's why we keep a close eye on what we watch on the television or on the computer screen. Because it's a reflection on his name. On his name. Tell me, have you dragged his name through the gutter this week? Have you? Huh? Have people pointed the finger this week and said, you're a Christian, are you? Huh? He restoreth my soul. Oh, what glorious words. I would not be here if that verse wasn't there and I knew that he restores my soul. But he restores my soul in order that we might walk in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. His reputation is at stake if your walk is crooked. Authority. My, this is some time David's having in the banks, isn't it? Lying there watching the sheep. He's thinking of authority. The Lord is my shepherd. The boys might shout at me. My dad might be making demands. My life is pulled in every direction. But the Lord, the Lord is my authority. The Lord's my shepherd. And not only authority, but tranquility. David realized that life was not about trying to cram in lots of things over a 24-hour period and then to do it the next day and the next day. No, he says, no, I need to get alone. There must be times when I sit in the green pastures beside the still waters. Times when I meditate on the God of heaven. 
to discover something of his purity. Something of his power. Something of his omniscience. All knowing. Nothing's hid from him. His omnipresence. He's everywhere. His mercy. His love. His grief. My, you could spend a long time, couldn't you? Thinking of all the attributes of our God. I say it'd be time well spent, wouldn't it? And then the priority, he restores my soul. Oh, dear saint of God, underline it in your Bible. There's always the chance for spiritual renewal, always. No matter how far you drift, no matter how low you go, he, he draws you back with those cords of love. Ah, oh, but there's something else. He's lying on the banks and he thinks about authority and he thinks about tranquility. He thinks about priority and then he thinks about hospitality. Verse number five. No, sorry. Verse four. Let's not miss out this. Reliability. Reliability. David is thinking of the dark times in life. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Reliability. Whenever you go over to Israel, if you take that old road from Jericho up to Jerusalem, they don't use it now, it's very narrow. There's some parts of that path you could reach out with both hands and touch each side of the precipice. So narrow. And back in the day, the thieves would have been there. You wouldn't have seen them. They were hiding around the corner. You were around the corner. They were on you in a flash. It was dark, difficult days. And David uses that picture. He says, yea, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, those dark times of life that are frightening and foreboding, the very shadow of death, Crosses his path. By those aren't easy times, are they? When the doctor pulls his chair up and says, takes your hand, he says, I have bad news for you. Not easy. My sister, there was three boys and one girl. Ray was the oldest. Last July, we were out for a meal with her and her husband. Whenever we come home, I said to Leslie, I didn't think Ray was very good tonight. I think she was a good colour. Last July, she was diagnosed with liver cancer. Inoperable, incurable, but possibly treatable. She passed away on the 3rd of October. Her last wish was that I would speak at her funeral. The hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Dark days. Her husband, Sam, great fella, goes to the brethren, needs prayer. It's a struggle. Good fella. I say in the dark, deep valleys of life. 
What do you need there? It's not people quoting verses at you. With the best will in the world. And people giving you advice who have never stood in your shoes. What you need is people who will be with you. He'll be there. He'll touch your shoulder. He'll give you a hug and say, I don't know what you're going through, but I'm here for you. Ring me any time of the day or night. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Oh, reliability. At a time whenever most of our friends desert us and don't want to talk to us and they don't know what to say to us and so they just don't bother in case they say the wrong thing. I tell you, the Lord's there. In the dark, the dark times of life when friends would stab you in the back and it's not nice. But the Lord does not abandon you and the Lord does not stab you in the back. He uses his rod to correct you. A rod was like a, a club and, and he uses it to, to correct you. It's not politically correct nowadays but, but the Lord still has his rod. And many a times he's used it on me to knock me in the line. And then he's got a staff. The staff was to guide the sheep. The, the, the hook picked them up when they got into a crevice. And the, the long stick to guide them along the path. And, and God, God doesn't abandon us in the valley. Rather, he, he, he uses his club and his staff. And he, he gets us along and keeps us going. Maybe unknown to me, I'm a blue in this Sunday. Maybe unknown to me, you're in a dark place. Maybe someone watching online and you're in a deep, deep valley. Shadow of guilt. Shadow of sin, of pain, of worry, of unemployment. My, isn't it great to know that the Lord, our shepherd, is 100% reliable. The Lord is with me. It's great to be saved, isn't it? I'm glad I didn't miss that out. Authority, tranquility, priority, reliability. And then, verse 5, hospitality. He says, I... Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. In the midst of trouble, when the enemies are there, when the enemy is looking, the Lord sets a table with abundant provision. The table in Scripture speaks of two things. It speaks of nourishment and it speaks of fellowship. David playing his lyre, maybe getting hungry, looking forward to going home to Bethlehem for his tea and sitting around the table with his seven brothers, his dad Jesse there. According to the Talmud, the Jewish writings, his mother was Nitzaveh. And then he had two half-sisters, Zeruah and Abigail, according to 1 Chronicles 2, 13 to 16, I think. So there was 12 around the table. Noisy. 
Everybody wants to make sure that they have their right portion. <laughs> Stories of the day. Debating the work. What about the sheep? And so the conversation among 12 of them were there, says the word of God, in the valley of life, in the dark times of life when the enemy is busy, God provides a table. He provides nourishment for the journey. And he provides fellowship for the journey. I say to you lovingly, don't neglect the nourishment, the spiritual food from the Lord's word. That's why we have a Bible study. So we get fed from the word. Because even though you might have your dinner at home and physically you're well fed, we need fed spiritually. We need to be challenged as to what we think about God and his word and, and what he would want us to what way he would want us to walk and live our life. We need to be challenged. That's why there is nourishment from God's word. But there's also the fellowship, that spiritual encouragement from from fellow believers. Can I say something very sensitive? I hope it don't get into trouble. And we're glad to see all the people online. But you don't get nourishment from a screen. You don't get human contact over the internet. And much as it's been greatly used by God, live streaming is not church. Because you miss out on the fellowship. And it's not just about other people encouraging you. We need you to be encouragement to us. And we can't get that encouragement and you're part of the body. We can't get that if you stay at home. David says, he anoints my head with oil. I'm sure David immediately thought of the day he was out on the fields. And he thought he heard something. And there's one of the boys running. David! <laughs> yes, you, come on. What's wrong? Is my dad okay? Yeah. Mum okay? Yeah. Samuel's around. Samuel. Oh, the priest. The prophet. Samuel. Yeah. He's at our house. No, our house. You're joking. David, Samuel's arrived. He's at our house and he wants to speak to you. No. <laughs> David. David goes into the kitchen or the living room. I don't know. There's Samuel. And Samuel anoints them the future king of Israel. Wow. He anoints my head with oil. And David is reminded that God has his divine purposes. And God is sovereign over all things. And here Samuel would pour the oil, the anointing oil on his head as the future king of Israel. Now it took a long time for it to materialize. Saul hounded him across the Judean hillside. Nearly cost him his life. But eventually God's promise came true. 
But of course, David was a shepherd. And a shepherd would have had a wee cruise of oil tied to his belt. I have in my study at home a, a, a perfume bottle or an oil cruise from the time of Christ. David would have had his oil cruise. And as he counted the sheep into the fold at night, with an expert hands, he would have run his wee hands over the, the body of the wee lamb, looking for a bruise, a cut, an abrasion, scar. And whenever he got one that had a bruise or a scar, he would have got it between his knees and got the wee vial of oil out and rubbed it into the wound. Says David, he anoints my head with oil. I know in Baptist church we don't like to talk about God's healing, but I want to tell you, he still has the oil and he still can rub it into the wound. He's still able. He's lost none of his ancient power. And he can touch in a way that only he can do. My cup runneth over. I would have taken that to mean that he gives in abundance. He gives more and overflowing. My cup runneth over. But I remember being in Israel many years ago and a Bedouin man, Ahmed, used to bring his camels to Jerusalem. He knew Ronnie McCracken very well. And if he saw Ronnie or me, he would have given Ronnie or me a free ride in the camel. They were disgusting animals, I have to say. Very smelly. But, but he gave us a ride free and then charged the people in the group to get on the camel if they're asking. But one day he asked us to go to his wee tent just outside of Jerusalem to visit his two wives and his children. And we went. Ronnie was there. And he brought the children in to dance and his two wives there with the coins all over their head. But Ahmed started to tell us about what life was like in the, in the desert. But one of the things he said was this. He said, whenever you're traveling in the desert and you come across a tent, the people in the tent have to offer you a bed for the night. It's the law of the desert. Hospitality. You're not allowed to ask what their name is. You're not allowed to ask why they're traveling. And you're not allowed to ask how long they're going to stay. Hmm? So, of course... Somebody in the group said, well, what happens if they overstay their welcome? Oh, he says, we have that sort of. Whenever it's time for them to go, we give them half a, half a cup of coffee. Whenever we want them to stay, they get a full cup of coffee. So whenever you get half a cup of coffee, you know it's time to go. Your, your uh, uh, time is up. You have to go pack up and go without a word being said. David says... My cup runneth over. He never wants us to go. He never wants us to leave. My time is more than gone. Authority, verse 1. Tranquility, priority, reliability, hospitality. Verse 6, eternity. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I thought that that meant that everywhere I go as a Christian, I should bring goodness and mercy with me. That's probably right. But I remember being down in Castle Archdale and in a skill in Loch Earn, 
children were small at the time. And it sort of was evening time and the water was so still. And I watched a wee boat going out. And there was two lines coming from the back of the boat, the wake of the boat. And I said to Liz, that reminds me of Psalm 23. Goodness and mercy shall follow me. I wonder, could you read it? Goodness and mercy shall follow in my wake all the days of my life. As I go through life, I should leave goodness and mercy behind me. Whenever someone meets me in Balamina tomorrow, they shouldn't be running into a doorway saying, I don't want to talk to that boy. <laughs> Does my head up? No, no, whenever I see them, they should go away saying, boy, I love meeting Lawrence. There's something about him, you know. He encourages me. He talks to me at my level, you know. And there's, there's a goodness and a mercy follows him all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That thought alone gives much cause for reflection, doesn't it? To be with Jesus forever. All sin gone. All tears wiped away. All problems solved. All personality clashes dissolved. Gone. David in a day of reflection. Authority, the Lord is my shepherd. Tranquility, lie down to worship. Priority, restoration, he restoreth my soul. Reliability, God's presence, even in the dark valley times of life. Hospitality, a a lavish table. Eternity, I will dwell in the house of the Lord. For me, why? don't understand I was a nobody nobody and God reached down when I was 16 years of age and saved my soul glory be to his name and because of that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever let's pray together Father we thank you for your word Father, we have known these things from our earliest of days. This is Sunday school material. But Father, we pray that something said, something meditated upon will stir our hearts, will challenge our walk, and will draw us closer to thyself. Bless each one. For Christ's sake. Amen.